turn on those headphones. It's time for Naughty Talk with Sunny Lee Maine. Welcome to Naughty Talk with Sunny Lee Maine, the podcast that explores all things kinky in a sexy and inclusive way. This show is intended for mature audiences aged 18 and up, and some listeners may find it disturbing. We believe in risk-aware consensual kink here on the show, so if you do try things mentioned on the show at home, know that neither the show nor the cast are responsible for any accidents, injuries, legal or property damages that may occur while getting your kink on. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 4 of Naughty Talk. I am Sunny Lee Main, she, her, and I'm here with VD Mac, he, him. Welcome back to the show, Daddy. Hey, Sunny, it's good to be here. All right, so here's the deal. <laughs> Today's topic. We are both very dominant personalities. We both identify as dominants in our kink roles, and yet we are in a relationship and dynamic together. And I think sometimes people get to know us individually as people and then realize we're in a relationship and take a look at the two of us together, and they're thinking, like, well, how the fuck does that work? No, we're breaking the universe. Two doms can't be together. So we decided we're just going to do a little segment today, have a little chat about how that sort of dynamic is actually possible and actually something that we both enjoy. It's actually very worthwhile, I think. All right. So, I mean, let's talk about our identities as individuals first. So I identify as a dominant, I've said it lots of times, as a sadist, as a little, as a primal predator. I am a hypnotist and sometimes a lot more rarely a hypnotic subject, but hypnosis is a, a big kink of mine. I'm into sensual BDSM and yeah, I definitely consider myself to be a little bit of a hedonist. What else? <laughs> what did I miss? Doll. Doll, yep. In very specific contexts, I enjoy really just with daddy. We're going to get into that dolly play. But I also enjoy in little space, particularly playing with dolls or taking up a doll maker role. So I don't identify as a switch. I identify as a dominant. I have exactly one relationship as a poly person where I am in a relationship with another dominant. So. We have found a way for it to work. I actually think it works very well. Um, yeah. So, or we wouldn't still be together, obviously. If it, <laughs> right. If it didn't, but go ahead and say a little bit about your own identity. I know I've said this before uh, on our podcast, but I identify as a primal predator. I live, breathe, eat, sleep, uh, primal living 24 7. In addition to that, I do have a little bit of a daddy dom. Uh, Sunny's going to giggle at that because she thinks I have way more than I think I do of daddy dom. And it's like daddy all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and I also have uh, a bit of sadist in me, and of course, doll maker when it comes to Sunny. Who do you think's more sadistic? Well, uh, you know, I don't know. <laughs> it would that would be a, a good we question. All giggles. 
I I really enjoy watching Sunny work when she's in her little sadist spot because uh, it speaks to my bigger sadist um, as well. All right. So how do we get on together? How do we make it work? I would definitely say that a lot of it comes down to settling things physically. I think that like psychologically, spiritually, emotionally, we could get easily very deadlocked. And so a lot of the types of play that we do get that sort of, you know, who's coming out on top gets resolved physically. Yes. Which means I win. (laughs) It does. If it comes down to a physical test, absolutely. Every single time. I mean, I, I think I give you a run for your money. I don't make it easy. You don't, you don't. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's part of the appeal of the relationship is the fact that I know she's going to struggle and she's not going to accept my will doggedly that she's going to fight me on it. And I, I love that. And I think you're touching on something really important, which is that we both really appreciate struggle play. And I think that's what keeps it fun is that in our play, there's almost always some element of struggle. And I definitely have a, I'm going to do my thing and be willful. And if you can find some way to make me fine, but it's not going to be easy attitude. And I think we both enjoy that kind of like sparring, I would call it. Yeah, that's a great word for it. It's definitely sparring. You know, it's great knowing day in and day out that Sunny's going to push me. She's going to push my boundaries. She's going to make me make her. And I really enjoy that. And usually it ends up, you enjoy it too. I mean, even though you enjoy it too, (laughs) even though you end up on the losing side often, not always, not always, not always. I get in my shots. So how do how do we actually sort of settle things, you know, post struggle? So we talked about physically, we often settle things primally. So sometimes that is like an actual physical wrestling sparring match. You do this, I say no, and daddy's like, okay, we're taking it to the mats, basically. <laughs> yeah, some sometimes, you know, just putting my hand around your throat or doing some other primal movement like biting you uh, is is enough just to remind you that, hey, I really can win physically if you want to push it. And then sometimes you like to push it. So, And sometimes I bite you to say, you know, get in line. <laughs> your little tiny baby wolf teeth. <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes you kind of squeal when I bite you and I'm like, you know, it's a good yeah. bite. I give pretty yeah. good bites. She does. And she I does. I have a, a talent, I think, for finding like the best spots, <laughs> like the most sensitive areas of the body to give a bite. And also for like the element of surprise, which is something that is an advantage on my side. <laughs> Sometimes, yes. Sometimes. So, you know, we, we do a fair degree of primal sparring, primal wrestling, that kind of a thing. And... It's sort of like a pack dynamic in which there are Mm. multiple predators, everybody in the pack. And I'm not referring to our our wild oak pack, but like between the two of us and our dynamic, it's a pack of predators. And so in theory, you know, those predators are potentially like dominant, potentially sadistic. There are a lot of things that are similar, but 
one of them may have the physical edge over the other. And it sort of overlaps with the other way that we get along, which is our DDLG play, because it's very much like fully grown giant predator and like baby predator. So like maybe the <laughs> the dominance is equal at like a spiritual level, but one is bigger than the other, a bigger, badder predator. Yeah, that's a great analogy. It's, it's, you know, it's very much the big giant cave bear and the little tiny puppy uh, nipping at the heels or biting the ears or occasionally getting in some good shots. More than occasional. All right. <laughs> Sometimes getting in some good shots. See, I don't give an inch. <laughs> Not a millimeter. Forget inches. Millimeters. you on the podcast. All right. So, I mean, DDLG, that's a big part of our dynamic, caregiver little. And as a little, I am still extremely dominant, willful, sadistic, probably more sadistic. And I won't dig into that too deeply because Panda and I are doing a segment this season specifically about that. But those aspects of my personality do not go away in little space. But for me... There is an aspect of Mac as my daddy providing me with care and creating a safe space for me that lets me step into a significantly more vulnerable emotional space. And so when we're in that space together, that is another place where the power dynamic can be adjusted or where there's a little bit more like power exchange. Yeah, it's. It's a great dynamic when you have uh, two DOMs and a DDLG kind of mixed in there because it allows me to be protective, but at the same time allows her the freedom to do things that perhaps somebody who is a bit more submissive would not. And I will say that when we settle things physically given that most of the time the person who comes out on top is daddy, I think that within our individual dynamic, he has a little bit more free reign for his, you know, inner dominant, inner sadist, that sort of thing. And because of polyamory, I've been able to find outlets for that in other dynamics and other types of play. And Sometimes that's something that daddy is adjacent to or a part of, like having a little sleepover where I am being a super sadistic little to the other little who is a masochist and daddy is kind of being, you know, the daddy and hanging out and taking us to get yogs while I am basically a little monster. <laughs> it's all about keeping you, both of you in a safe space while the two of you play. And is that necessary for me to have a safe scene in little space? Absolutely not, because I am an adult human being in control of myself and can negotiate a scene. But it's kind of fun to have that sometimes be included as a part of the play, like sort of a fun little dynamic where like, ooh, I'm being like super sadistic and evil and naughty and daddy's in the kitchen making lasagna and he might catch me in the act. Sometimes I do. <laughs> Often he does. Kind of shifting gears a little bit. The last way that we're able to sort of exchange power is through CNC play. And again, a lot of that is physical. We do a lot of like capture fantasy stuff, physical abduction stuff. 
But we also do hypnotic dollification, which is a time-limited form of complete power exchange. And I cannot willfully give over power. I might struggle until I run out of steam, but it's very, very difficult for me to willfully give over power. Now, of course, I know that at a deep level, I am doing that willingly, consensually, because I'm engaging thoughtfully in that type of play. However, having it feel like the control is being forcibly taken is one of the only ways that I can have any kind of significant power exchange where I'm sort of on the other side of the slash. So for dollification, being unable to speak, move of my own accord, sort of trapped in my own body like a doll, like that is an extreme form of both bondage and power exchange. And it's fun too. (laughs) What is that like for you? It's... Honestly, it feels sort of sacred because I know how difficult it is for you to give up that control and the fact that you're willingly giving it to me to put yourself at my mercy. I'm very honored every time we do it. Um, You cute. But it also speaks to my sadistic side too because I know that I have you under my control. I mean, yeah, you can say for it and we can exit the scene, but uh, it it kind of gives me that little boost of of sadistic energy to <laughs> yes, thrill. Thrill is a good word. Yeah, and you know, I think that I can give up power generally in a very like time limited way. I definitely feel that in our vanilla life as partners. I don't really feel a strong power exchange. I feel like we definitely respect each other and there is no like one decision maker when it comes to vanilla decisions that impact our lives. Even though our dynamic is always present and it's a 24-7 dynamic, I definitely feel like our dynamic is shaped in such a way where those big global life decisions are made as partners and as equals. I would agree with that. Yep. And, you know, then there are the times when we do not agree and it's something big and it does happen. It does. It does happen. And I think it happens in all relationships and there can be some moments that are a little ugly. I'm a little stubborn. You're a little stubborn by that. I mean, we are both probably the two single most stubborn human beings you will ever encounter walking this earth. Is that fair? And somehow we managed up together. Because <laughs> no one else would tolerate us. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I have another wonderful partner right now. And so I only I only say that in jest, but... Yes. Sometimes it feels that way. (laughs) Sometimes it feels that way. My other partner who um, we are all currently living in in one home is extremely tolerant of, I would say, the both of us. Yeah. Yes. And of our, our shenanigans. But yeah, I mean, we can definitely become deadlocked. And like any relationship, we have to do work on communication and work on finding a middle ground. But Thankfully, I feel like because we as humans choose to walk such a a similar path with, you know, placing an importance on our shared spiritual path of druidry, of 
our commitment to sustainable and primal living. We are both creative types. We both are authors. I just, I feel like we often see the world in a very similar way. And so when you have two people who are both extremely dominant and extremely stubborn and who are extremely set in their ways, you both have to work really hard at flexibility when you don't see eye to eye, but it also really helps when your worldviews are already kind of aligned from the get-go. Yeah, I would agree, but I think a lot of that goes to any relationship, too. The more you can agree on, generally, the better you're going to get along. Fair. Totally fair. So, again, you know, it comes down to settling a lot of things physically or consensually having control taken away. It comes down to viewing dominance as a spectrum where we can both be very dominant and that dominance can manifest in several spheres, you know, physical, psychological, emotional, or spiritual. And we have identified that place where there is a gap. For us, it's pretty physical. And sort of knowing those things about ourselves, we've been able to (laughs) sort of, you know, carve out this path together. And I, for one, am very happy on it. Me too. Mm -hmm. It's not just you. Mm -hmm. So, for all of you out there who were wondering how the fuck the two of us could get along so well, now you know. Most adorable and not as sneaky as it thinks, it's time for Panda Pet. I am here with the wonderful Panda Pet, it, they. How are you today? We're great. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing okay. Um, I could not believe that we made it to season three and we did not do like a full, complete segment on pet play. It's kind of your jam. So I just, yeah, I was kind of shocked. And, you know, then (laughs) you and I went back through the storyboards and we looked over them and I was like, nope, it's really not there. I can't believe we haven't done it. We got to do it. Oh, yeah. I mean, also, it's like the second half of my scene name. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Panda is a pet. Yeah. So let's talk about it. Why don't we start with just saying a little bit about your own pet identity? Okay. Um, My pet identity is kind of complex. If you're asking my very honest opinion about my current identity... It's probably more along the lines of a shapeshifter, honestly, uh, which I know branches into like fantastical territory, but pet play can go into fantastical territory um, because I embody a lot of different like animalistic traits. So puppy is definitely my most primary animal identity just based on my personality and just how I naturally am in the world. There's a little bit of cat. There's a little goat, (laughs) Uh, which was something fun to figure out. I do. I've done Hugh cow play occasionally with Hypnostory because they're into that. And I enjoy it for the embarrassment sake on my end. Um, 
And I'm also a human pet. And interestingly enough, the other day I saw that someone identified as a leather pet, which I was like, ooh, that really speaks to me. So that's also one that I'm pretty happy to take on for myself. So a lot of different sort of pet personality facets going on there. Yeah. I think we should kind of start with a little note, kind of like we do when we talk about age play, that pet play does not have anything to do with humans who are interested in sexual activity with animals, period. Nope. Not a thing. Just like how age play is not related at all to pedophilia, pet play is not at all related to bestiality because it is consenting adults role-playing as different things. So got that out of the way. (laughs) We're just going to soapbox it out. (laughs) Yeah. Right, right out of the gate, I think. And then we can just kind of enjoy our chat about pet play and not have to worry about circling back to that. There are so many different types of role play. If you do capture fantasy, it doesn't really mean that you're a kidnapper, you know, or a wannabe axe murderer, for example. This is no different. Right, exactly. And while we're on the subject, so you talked about some animal personalities, but why don't we just share a little bit about the difference between, say, pet play and primal play and then furry stuff? All right, so... Pet play, if you're putting it in its broadest context, is really the act of role-playing as either a type of pet or a handler of said pet. Like the owner, handler, like vet, babysitter, caregiver of any slice of that. So that's all rolled up into what pet play is. Then we've got furry play which I will be very upfront about that I know very little about because that's just not something I engage in but as far as I know it is more concentrated on like the actual like dressing of like fursuits or like aspects of that fursona um, which is like that furry identity right so there's like a lot of aesthetic right Yes, I think so. Or that like they are a specific kind of anthropomorphic being, but I'm like really not willing to say more than that. And I would just say like, go look it up or ask someone else if you really have more interest in what furries do or like what furry play is, uh, just because it's not my level of expertise. So that's totally fair. So I think what we can say definitively is that furry play and pet play are different things and have separate communities. And we're going to focus more on pet play today, which is something that's important to you. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully our very brief summary of the difference was correct and nobody's going to be mad at us. Neither of us is really part of the furry community. So that's pretty much all we can say about it. But On the other hand, I personally am very enmeshed in the primal play community, so I can at least speak to that a little bit. Right. On the bright side, I am a member of the primal community. It is something that is part of my identity, so that is something that I can speak to in a little bit more detail and separate from pet play. The focus is a little bit more on 
sort of releasing yourself from human inhibitions and human taboo during play. So you don't necessarily, when you play, have to embody a specific type of animal to engage in primal play, although many people do have a certain animal that they find inspiring or that they feel that they share sort of personality traits with or Mm -hmm. embody in some way during play. Some people even want to take on characteristics of fantasy creature like a dragon, but whatever it is, you know, it's taking some characteristics of that into play or engaging in things that are animalistic like rough body play, biting, scratching, grappling, mating play, hunting play, predator-prey dynamics. So it's a little bit different in that the focus is on sort of just freeing yourself from anything that's human in the context of your play or of your lifestyle in some cases. And I don't think that ownership generally plays as big a role, although certainly people in primal dynamics might have dynamics that have ownership involved. It's not so much like handler animal sort of exchange, if that's a good way to put it. But a lot of that is actually a commonality with pet play in that it is a lot about shedding human responsibility, inhibition, shame, uh, that kind of thing. And that's why a lot of us do it, but that's more of like an individual, like, why do you do this thing? And ownership definitely does play a larger part of it, I think, than in primal play um, Mm -hmm. from like a caregiver pet kind of perspective. But there are plenty of people out there who identify as pets who are not owned, don't have a handler, like only engage with other pets, only engage solo. So it really depends on like, honestly, what kind of pet you are and what kind of play you're interested in or dynamic you're interested in for you and your life. I think for me, the main distinction between pet and primal play is that primal is more of that hunter prey, uh, more like relying on like kind of natural lizard brainy instincts um, is, can be a little more aggressive. Although like, honestly, pet play can be like pretty damn primal as well because those things can overlap. They are definitely different, but like almost all kinks can overlap with each other. For sure. Yeah, there definitely are are things that I can see that are shared and, you know, freedom from, you know, human constructs and taboos is certainly a big piece of it. I seem Mm -hmm. to feel like in primal play, there's less of a focus on sort of like embodying... Mm. a specific animal and there's sort of like Mm -hmm. a focus on understanding that humans are in fact just another beast if that's yeah that's one way to think about it yeah i think that's a really good way to put it in that like even with human pets in pet play there's something a bit domicile about it um in that like human pets so primals are just feral <laughs> yeah i mean like primals are the feral version essentially uh all <laughs> so on that i don't care <laughs> don't come at me with a leash i'll eat your face um <laughs> like versus like all i want to do is like be on a leash and be in a cage and like have a fluffy bed and be taken care of 
Have you ever seen that meme that's floating around the internet and it's like a wolf and it says, hmm, that food over there by that campfire with that human smells good. Maybe I'll just have a little bite. What could go wrong? And then it like flashes to like, like little tiny dogs and snoots, like those knit things that they put on their heads with like flowers around it. And it says like, you know, whatever, 10,000 years later or something like that. Or yeah, that's so funny. I love so that's, that. That's primal and pet play. <laughs> oh my god! Yes, like that. <laughs> that is so good. I've never. I need to see that, <laughs> if it comes up again, I'll share it with you. And like the important thing too that I want to mention about pet play, uh, because there's kind of like some shamey and stigma around it, and I would like to release that into the universe, is that you don't need to pick an animal. People, please. Like, divest yourself of that notion. You don't need to choose an animal. You don't need to be a specific breed or identity or... Like, you can be a mashup of, like, five different animals like I am. And, like, honestly, the only reason I started calling myself Shapeshifter is because of a primal, like, like hypnotic thing that we did in a class, like, me, Sunny, and Mac, where Mac led us through, like, kind of, like, seeing ourselves in like the mirror of a lake and like that's just kind of what I saw like I saw this like shifting form <laughs> and so I like, was thinking that sounds kind of like something we would do <laughs> yes and, and it was and it was <laughs> this was this was Mac's fault um in the best way possible and <laughs> um I'm very happy I did it I really feel like that's a good identifier for me People were really into that. I feel like a lot of people came up to us afterwards and they were like, wow, like I've struggled with what is my inner beast for a really long time. And it was actually not just a meditation, but a group trance. So that was super fun. It was so fun. (laughs) But it was really useful for a lot of people, which was great. Um, But yeah, anyway, you like some, there are some people out there who have like specific gear that like relate to a very specific animal breed or like sometimes you'll run into a group conversation where people are talking about like exactly what they are in very like specific detail and for a while when I was starting out I felt shy about myself and like about talking to people about it because I didn't have a specific animal identity like I didn't have a specific pet identity I just knew there were all these things that I liked that are pet like. And I decided, okay, I'm just going to call myself a human pet then. And then I stumbled upon like way in the future, other people who also refer to themselves as human pets and then felt less like a genius because I thought I'd come up with it myself. (laughs) So that's a really good segue to a topic that we were going to touch on, which is sort of the difference between animal pet play and human pet play. And Mm -hmm. I know that, you know, I personally as a dominant, I just don't naturally gravitate towards pet play or I hadn't really thought too hard about it, Mm -hmm. which is fine. It's just, it's not my personal thing. However, I started to wrap my brain around this concept of a human pet a little bit more recently. We're going to talk about how that came about (laughs) later, but you know, this concept of a human pet, because 
you know, like I am an owner in real life of a bunch of fur balls. <laughs> I have two really wonderful actual dogs that I mm. love to pieces. And I don't know, I think there's like a disconnect for me personally, not because I feel like pet play means you're interested in like sexy time with animals. We've already covered that to be clear, but because right. there's a difference in my persona, like when I care in my brain, caring for a pet is this like loving, affectionate, like spoiling kind of situation. And as a dominant with a human being, that's not me at all. I'm definitely like disciplinarian, you know? Mm. And so I think there was like a disconnect in my brain about like how you treat a pet and what kind of a dynamic I might like to have with a submissive partner. Not that care is not involved in, you know, dynamics that have discipline or MS exchange or anything like that. But right sort of a disconnect in my brain about like myself as a, a dominant and a sadist that sort of was disconnected from what I thought pet play might be like, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, no, totally. Disciplinarian can definitely be a part of pet play, but that's usually not like the most dominant aspect of a owner pet dynamic. For most of us who love and cherish our pets, which is mostly how we kind of view pet play, is like this kind of like treasured, adorable, loved kind of thing where in general the caregiver is helping guide or take care of the pet somehow. Wait a minute. <laughs> Okay. What? But to be clear, you can be a disciplinarian or a sadist or, you know, a very strict dominant and still have affection. Yeah. For your bottom. Yeah. So I wouldn't I wouldn't say that the the affection or like the positive regard for the partner is the separation in my opinion. No, you're right. I guess when I said treasured, I just meant like like more the the spoily aspect that you mm -hmm. talked about. Like Yes. It is present in a lot of dynamics, but sorry, that's a soapbox. Like you could be no, no, I get it. and still have a very like it. affectionate, positive regard for your partner. Just no, I get it. Putting that out there. <laughs> yeah, that spoily dynamic can definitely be there, and you like can pampered have like a sadistic disciplinarian, firm hand kind of relationship as well and it really just depends on what your dynamic is and both in both of those the pet is someone who is like you know loved and cherished and treasured um but it really i think a lot of it just depends on how much the dominant wants to, and to an extent how much the dynamic wants to have a short leash or like a firm hand um or like how much training there is behind it that sort of thing like, for me, daddy calls me pet pretty much all the time. Like, if we really boil down to the names that we use most of the time, it's probably daddy and pet. So that's how it shows up in our dynamic a little bit, where, like, they take care of me. Like, they'll get me food if I ask for it a lot of the time, if they have the energy for it. They will, like, give me snuggles, they'll give me scratches, like, they like rubbing me. Uh, those sort of like pet like 
activities, but also the caregiver aspect comes from like the daddy kind of aspect of it. Whereas that might be different for other people who don't have that kind of natural caregiver personality. And there can certainly be relationships where it flips the other way around where the pet is the dominant or the top and the caregiver person is the bottom or the submissive. And that would even be more of like a, the pet is spoiled and the quote unquote caregiver takes care of them type of situation. I can totally see that. Like a pet is like howling and making a racket and the frantic owner comes like running in, like have toys, have treats. Yes. Oh my God. You know what I I mean? Like demanding things and the the caregiver is just like, what am I going to do? I got to get all the things I got (laughs) to. Oh my gosh. That'd be so. Yeah. And like, I'm sure that exists out there and there are plenty of dynamics too, where it's like pet and pet where like, and they will relate to each other kind of how those animal identities would relate to each other in a way. So like, if there's like a person who's identifies as a cat and a person who identifies as a dog, that could be really freaking funny uh, and fun and sexy and more primal leaning kind of dynamic if you want. Uh, So it just really depends on your flavor. You know, that's a good point. I, I just had a thought and it, it's that like circling back to the primal piece. I feel like with pet play, there is often, and not always, cause as you said, there can be pet pet interaction, but there is often sort of a difference in role where it's like a human pet interaction. And mm-hmm. I find that with primal play, everybody's sort of on the same wavelength like you might be predator or you might be prey but everybody's in the same sort of animalistic Mm. space and acknowledging that it's a part of themselves as a human most of the time so it's not really like animal role play but there's definitely less of a like a difference between like this person is sort of a human role and that person is sort of an animal role Mm mm-hmm that's an interesting way to sort of separate it out. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a good way to put it, I think. Uh, but anyway, in regards to human pets versus people who might identify with a specific animal or any kind of like pet, human pets really are people who enjoy things that we associate with pets. So maybe that's... um like sleeping on the floor or like laying on the floor or being on a leash and collar or like eating out of a bowl on the floor uh, with or without hands. There's like going on little walkies, like scritches, rubs, like that sort of specific doting attention. And those are all things that you can love and not have a specific animal identity, but you know that you love these things, which is why I started out as a human pet because I identified as a human who enjoys these qualities that you would normally associate with a pet. And then along the way is where I really started exploring more specific play. That's where I came upon puppy play which is something 
that I'll touch on in a second because it's a little like it is in pet play, but it's also kind of its own community. And as I had experiences across the years, I just found more and more identifiers with kind of different animals and just sort of folded them into my pet identity and personality. You know, it's interesting because when I I think about the role of a pet in a household, I don't think of pets as property, for example. Mm. So I think that when you think of DS as sort of like a spectrum, Mm -hmm. for me, the idea of pet play is somewhere in between uh, this is my property um, and some DS exchanges do operate on the, this is my property might be a prized possession, but this is property mm-hmm. versus sort of like a member of my family, but not running the show. So, mm. you know, in my brain, it, you know, thinking about it sort of like a spectrum and that's part of, you know, what I've been thinking about in terms of like this human pet kind of thing, because the, like personally, it's not my individual fetish to do like puppy play kind of stuff, but I could totally see a dynamic where this is a human, but their place in the household in the spectrum, you know, our dynamic would be something like something in the middle. Like this is a member of the family, but the hu- in the way that, you know, in a pet dynamic, the human is in control. I don't know mm. if I'm saying it clearly. <laughs> no, I think I kind of get what you mean. It's that, uh, like, I'm Hypnostory's property. And I'm also very, like, treasured and loved and cared for as property. But I am ultimately property. But I'm also... In a romantic, like if you boiled it down to vanilla, almost egalitarian Mm -hmm. partner of theirs sometimes. So it really just depends on like what's going on and like the context of everything. But most of the time I am like their pet and their property and also the one doing the primary running of the household because that is my function. That's my primary function for the household. Sure. And I mean, it's definitely possible to hold more than one role or have more than one dynamic within a relationship. But, you know, when I sort of quantify it in my own mind, if you keep it simple and sort of separate, you know, this is a piece of property, it's a table, you know, and people are into furniture play. That's not my thing either, particularly, but people like that. So like this is an object. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, this is an object. This thing belongs to me. It doesn't have any thoughts. It doesn't have any free will. You know, it cannot move, do anything on its own at all. It's just there versus like in my (laughs) mind, pet. (laughs) Excuse me, I'm trying to make Sorry. a point, not get you hot and bothered. Um, <laughs> versus this is a pet, and I, as the human owner or dominant, am in control. I make the rules, I enforce the rules, but the pet has thoughts. It does have 
enough free will to decide whether it's going to follow the rules or not and understand that not following the rules have consequences. So like there's potential for like bratting type dynamic there, you know, it's just like a different kind of level thing. So if you're thinking like total power exchange ownership on the farthest end of the spectrum being something like this person is my footstool Mm -hmm. and you know, like a pet is a beloved member of the family. So I feel like in having like free will thought choice making, there's a huge gap because maybe they're not the human and in control of the situation, but I would never compare a pet to a footstool. You know what? That's fair. You know, like I would just kick a footstool, prop my feet on it, be like, fuck you footstool. I don't like what you look like. I'm reupholstering you with this staple gun. I would never think of doing something like that to a pet. <laughs> okay. See, you say these things and then you say you're not trying <laughs> to turn me on. That's not fair. You really need to decide. Uh, I might've been teasing you a little bit. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Proceed. <laughs> wow. But yes, that is a that is a good distinction. Yes, very very serious, very official, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so educational. <laughs> good thoughts, good thoughts, good job. Yeah, um, I, I did mention that I was going to get into like the different kinds of like kind of like communities within pet play, and there are a few. Um, there's certainly an amount of overlap between age players and pet players, uh, so there are a fair amount of people who may identify as both. So like being a puppy versus being like an adult dog kind of identity, um, which is definitely something that I have. Like I am puppo. I am not adult dog, Uh, which just kind of flavors things a little bit more in whatever dynamic you're in or whatever you're engaging in. But there's also like big communities as a part of this. So Puppy play is probably the biggest community. And in some ways, that's kind of where a bit of pet play came from. Um, I don't really think we have time, so I don't want to go into the history. But please, if you were interested in queer leather history, um, look up the history of puppy play. It is fascinating. It goes back towards like the gay leather men scene of like late 70s, 80s. Uh, as where things kind of started and it's really evolved and come a long way from there. But puppy players are a bit still enmeshed in history. So it's very gay men forward. Uh, A lot of the gear that you would associate with it is going to be leather or like latex or like some sort of like kink gear made to form like pup hoods or tails or mitts. Um, some people have like all out like PVC latex uh, suits or stuff like that. And pauses. Like, <laughs> yeah. yes. Who has and, pink paws? <laughs> yeah. I got pink bean toes. They're white paws. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Sunny got me paws. Um that are very cute and they lock in place with little white leather straps and I love them I so much. I picked them out with love. <laughs> They're so cute. I love them so much. Um, Cause I am like, spe- I 
feel like I am specifically small white doggo. So it fits very well. <laughs> uh, God, now distracted. Um, like cats are like kind of secondarily what people mostly think of when they think of pet play in general. Uh, because like cats and dogs are kind of the most popular domestic animals. So kind of makes sense. Cats also have like a very distinct, different personality. That's more often of the time where you might see the dynamic being flipped because cats can be assholes uh, in a way (laughs) that dogs are sometimes not where like dogs are more like loyal and like your friend and part of your family Dogs are always like the best thing in the world. Always, I love my, I love my fur babies. And And by the way, by the way, in my household, my actual pets, my actual dogs, are definitely like super spoiled, loved. Like I would never compare like actual pets to an object. Just to be clear, (laughs) your dogs are the most spoiled I've ever seen. Um. They got bedtime songs and bubble baths and <laughs> they're so cute. They're so cute though. Um and cats, like, you know, cats can be assholes. They are more willful. They're kind of a little bit smarter. They <laughs> um <laughs> they're gonna do their own thing a lot of the time. Uh what I will say is that the puppy play community is kind of a adjacent community. So like it's kind of its own thing. Whereas just like pony like, play, right? Just like pony, pony play, play right? Where like cat or kitten, not so much. Like they don't have their own specific community. They're just like a popular thing that people choose to identify as. Uh, pony play Because, like, there are people out there who have ponies or horses as pets. Sure, (laughs) true. But pony play is such its own community that I feel like a lot of us would not put pony play into the pet play category. Just because there's so much specific stuff for pony play. And, like, it's just so much of its own thing, its own community, its own kink. And so with the different types of communities, there are also different types of events. Can you tell us the difference between a menagerie and a mosh, please? Oh, hell yeah. Um, So moshes, again, are kind of stemmed from puppy play. That's where it started. Like where it was just a whole bunch of pups getting together and kind of fucking around. So it was like, you know, like wrestling impact sexy stuff like maybe some like breeding play if there's like a dungeon that's sex positive and but it's more about engaging with each other as pets like kind of if you put like a doggy daycare together and like just let them all loose in one room and just like watch them interact um but it's just a more pet specific kind of gathering Uh, menageries are things that I really see more often in broader kink spaces. Menageries are really open to more identities. I think that are more like, it's more welcoming almost and more inclusive 
because there are tons and tons of identities out there, like just as many animals as there are in the world. It doesn't really hecking matter. You can identify as whatever you want. So there are just so many things you can take on within that. And the menagerie, I feel like is more all encompassing of that and kind of like a chaotic zoo where everyone's in the same space. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to circle back to something that we touched on briefly, but didn't get into. So you started to talk a little bit about how gear is absolutely not necessary, but if you want to play with gear, and this is something that I came across um, looking for your paws, actually, but the, mm. the amount of gear that is available for pet play is really astonishing, like hoods, yeah. paws, tail butt plugs, like all kinds of things. And that's just for aesthetic. That's not even getting into like, I saw what else did I see? I saw collars. I saw... Um, but like very pet style collars, um, like bowls and dishes, different types of animal toys. Mm -hmm. So do you want to talk just a little bit about gear and also some of the precautions that come with gear? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, first of all, I just want to remind people, you do not need gear to be a pet player. I said it. (laughs) I said it. (laughs) I know. I know. I know. I just, it's a soapbox. I remembered. I remembered. Yeah. <laughs> um, it is just a soapbox of mine because that was a particular hang up for me. I was like, I can't afford this gear. Like maybe I can't do this. And it's bullshit. Honestly. That being said, there's certainly a lot of gear out there that can help you to feel less human, to feel more in your pet space. And I think that's why that kind of gear can be really helpful and there's so much of it out there with hoods there. You can be as specific or non-specific as you want, really. Like I know of pop hoods out there that are like a stretchy fabric that have the markings of specific breeds of dog on them. And then I know I've seen hoods as simple as like kind of like leather hoods that form like a muzzle and the ears and like have slots for your eyes, but they're not really calling to any specific kind of breed more than like a generic, like leather pup. Like this is what we're doing. Knee pads and elbow pads are like a less sexy version of gear, but I think are very necessary if you're going to be doing any kind of like crawling around on all fours or like, even kneeling on the floor for any like pretty long length of time. Uh, Paws can also be really good for that too. Just in like how some people for bondage use mitts to stop the person from being able to use their hands. Padded mitts are super helpful if you're going to be walking around on all fours. There's also a lot of tales out there of plug variety and non-plug variety Uh, I think people like the plug, like, first of all, because yes, like part of it for specifically puppies comes from like a gay men's leather culture kind of thing, but also, uh, and I'm not a person who's into anal at all. So like, it's kind of an outsider's perspective on that one, but I do understand it from some perspective because if it's in your body, 
then it feels like more of yourself and like it's more attached to you and that when you wiggle that tail is going to move more uh versus and i say this from experience versus when you are just like wearing a tail because it's kind of harder to like control that using the tail and like having that be a part of how we communicate can be pretty important so i get that so a lot of pets love toys we love enrichment we love playing so the kind of toy you're going to want is obviously going to be dependent on the kind of pet you are. Uh, but I would definitely like make sure you're going for like body safe silicones, plastics, that kind of thing. So I have to say like a lot of the toys that I buy for my actual animals, they're like glitter, like, you know, like toxin free, like glittery, rubbery kind of toys that look an awful lot like sex toys. I'm not going to lie. Oh, yeah, no, and they they can be. Like, if you find the right company that makes things with, like, the right material, then you can use them with human pets. And, like, I've definitely gotten rope toys for myself. Rope toys are a pretty safe bet. Even, like, a stim or just, like, a fixation or something like that. Like, even if you're not, like... uh, But different animals obviously love different kinds of toys. Maybe if you want to build a more enriching environment, like... Oh, God, I don't even remember what kind of animal this is. But there was a specific animal where, like, they re- they clean themselves in dust baths. And <laughs> when my friend was moving out of their apartment, they really, really, really wanted to, like, when they were cleaning out the apartment, like, sweep a pile of dust together and play in a dust bath. <laughs> or, like... The germaphobe in me is cringing just a little tiny bit. <laughs> Like the idea of sweeping up all the dirty things. <laughs> like No, I, I'm there too. That's not me. I can't do it. But no shame. No king shaming. Just no, me neither. Personally, no thank you. Uh, if you can find really big cages, like ones that are meant for the largest doggos you can think of, then those can fit a human. Uh, personal experience. Yes, they can. Uh, you'll just want to put down... Uh, like some form of padding, please, like some form of like egg crate that you'd put on top of like a mattress to help cushion it or foam, like something besides just like a layer of towel or blanket. So unless you're really going for uncomfortable, which like, hey, fine if you are, because like it could be like the punishment cage. It could be like that that's where they go when like you want to prod them with things and like not let them be able to get away. But if it's going to be like a pet home or a pet safe space, which it is for a lot of us, then please pad your space. Uh, For like treats, I just want to say like, please have negotiations about allergies and like, and like sensitive tummies and like what is and is not good for that person. If you're going to be doing like an obedience training scene where you're going to give them a lot of treats then maybe you don't make it something super processed or like something super, super sweet, like candy. But I tend to encourage people to look at getting more like kind of like body neutral. So I think the take home is consider a person's human diet and what is or is not going to be okay for them to eat and whether or not they're going to feel triggered by eating a certain volume of it or sick from eating a certain volume of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And food, if you're doing it out of a bowl, just, like, be aware that it's going to get messy. 
make it bite-sized pieces for your human pet. Like somebody put like a slab of lasagna in a bowl one time for me. And <laughs> my face was covered in sauce, like covered in sauce. I just had a really mean thought about intentionally putting messy foods in a bowl. I Okay, so Sorry. I did have a scene where that was exactly what happened. Uh, <laughs> like One of my play partners put out different food bowls and they each had like, like a sauce in them. Like it was like a different kind of sauce and it was like something covered in that sauce. And I had to eat the thing and try not to get sauce on my face. Cause I would get quote unquote punished if I got messy and of course I was going to get messy. That was, I was completely set up for that. And <laughs> so like it was a hot, hot mess and that resulted in like me needing to get like showered off afterwards, but it was hilarious. It was a really fun time. Naughty pet makes a mess on the floor. <laughs> get toast off kind of roughly. <laughs> but yeah, no, I have done that where like someone's like purposely use like a really cold, uh-huh. powerful hose out back. And speaking of cleanliness and mess making, I know you wanted to touch on just sort of like the fluid bonding hygiene thing with toys. Like you're going to put something in your mouth, maybe think about who else's mouth it's been and that kind of a thing. It's okay. Yes. And so for Masha's or Menageries, there have been some occasions where I've seen the event runner bring like communal toys in just think about that (laughs) like when you're i think it's really more prevalent now than it was pre-covid like that we're thinking about it a lot more but like maybe if you're gonna go to a mosh and you know you're gonna want your own bone or like a toy or a ball to play with then think about that like maybe bring your own don't count on using one provided by the event or like playing with one with somebody else, unless you are comfortable basically making out with that person, (laughs) because like you're going to put your mouth on something that another person had their mouth and saliva on as well. Well, and like licking the floor, right? Because the toys are in theory, like all over the floor. (laughs) It depends on if you throw it on the floor or not. So like, it could be a thing where like the handler holds onto it and then like gives it to you and you just like carry it around in your mouth, really chew on it or like play tug or something like that. And then the owner takes it back or it could be that like you specifically have a towel on the floor that is like your own stuff in your own space. So it's not touching. And if you're going to use water bowls or food bowls, just try to let other people not use them unless there's somebody who you're really like on that level of comfort with, because there are definitely times where not everyone is or the most respectful and will try to come and use your stuff, your toys, drink out of your bowl, eat out of your bowl, especially if they're really immersed in pet space. Is that where you get to bite them? (laughs) Get away from my bowl. (laughs) And, like, you want to be as safe as possible. So please be courteous of each other. I'm getting into it here, okay? (laughs) Yes, I know, I know, I know, I know. Um, But that's probably, if that actually were to happen, for real, (laughs) probably a space in which I would say, like, 
I would have to use my words and be like, hey, you can't do that. I don't know you. So so to recap a little bit, we've touched on a lot of different aspects of pet play. We've talked about the differences between pet and primal play, some different types of pets, different types of pet communities and events, different types of gear, and some safety things to consider along with that gear. And I just want to say that pet play was something that I hadn't really explored very much myself until I met Panda. And Panda is such a joyful pet. (laughs) (laughs) Such a joyful pet. And even though I never really felt like pet play was my thing, I have to say it's really fun to watch you interact like with your owner and pet space, that kind of a thing. It's really fun. You know, when I started down the path of writing my Turn the Key series, my first two were Hypnotic Dollification and Primal Play, which are like really big personal kinks of mine. And And they're super hot, by the way. (laughs) Thank you. But I don't just write for myself. You know, I, I write for other people and I write for the kink and fetish community and the queer community. And I definitely wanted to you know, once I was sort of hitting my stride, start to branch out a little bit. And when I write about a kink or a fetish that isn't necessarily my own, it's more than just doing research, because I feel like that comes off as very academic and not authentic. It's Mm. sort of observing and talking to people who are really into it, and then thinking about things that overlap with my personal kinks and fetishes. Like I find things that are sexy about the thing I'm writing about at a personal level, because if I can't do that, I don't feel like it's really going to come off as authentic. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I started in that place of animal pets are beloved members of my family who get spoiled rotten and just loved to pieces. But I can't ever imagine being like a like a really hard like disciplinarian in the context of like an owner pet thing. So first mm. I had to separate myself from like real pet ownership and pet play. And that was a jump for my brain to make. Like academically I understood that it's totally different things, but you know that is a headspace that I'm in as an actual pet owner that I had to separate from, you know, mm-hmm. kink pet play. And then you know, I had to think a little bit about, okay, what is it that I really like about this? And it's interesting because I sort of, in my brain, started to mash it together a little bit with like sort of caregiver play. Um, Mm. That was one of the things that came to mind. And as a dominant, I'm not really like a caregiver type dominant. No, you're not. Um, (laughs) Which is not to say that I don't really work hard to take care of my partners because they're people no, you do. that I love. But, you know, when I say so when I say caregiver, I mean that in like the caregiver little kind of context. Like nobody's ever going to say I'm like a daddy type dumb. No. Nope. Um it's it's just not. I have one of those and that's amazing on the other end. So I was able to have that headspace a little bit. Like what is it like to receive care? And I did write a little bit from the pet perspective and that was helpful. And then I'm like, okay, you know, like I have worked with actual animals and horses for training 
And I can see like human training Mm -hmm. And like, what if I took some elements of the types of training that you might do, like to train a horse or an animal, and you just took those elements and you applied it to DS dynamic. Mm -hmm. And that was something that I was really able to resonate with, like training, discipline, that kind of a thing. And I think, you know, in the end, the way I ended up writing it for me personally, I ended up separating And again, not all kink has to be sexual. So, you know, I found that for me personally, I found it um, easier to wrap my brain around if I was doing something that was very animalistic pet play in the story to keep that piece of it non-sexual and then have the person be in sort of a human headspace for the sexy times. And it's okay if that's not how other people play, but, you know, Mm -hmm. I was searching for the overlap and like what parts of my own play and kink can I overlap and can I, so I, you know, I wrote the scenes in such a way that there was like a toggling back and forth between pet and human that was helpful, but, you know, I really appreciated finding this space in my head where I could imagine being a dominant who like takes very good care of their, their submissive where the submissive Mm -hmm. is a pet in that case. um, But can also still find space to be like a disciplinarian and thinking about human pet specifically as like a dynamic or a space where you can make the rules and you know the pet is going to have personality and they're going to have free thoughts and they're going to have free will and they're going to have the ability to do things like brat and you're going (laughs) to have the ability to like set the rules and enforce the rules and you know um administer discipline and that sort of a thing but just understanding that it could be a very strong power exchange without it quite being on the same plane as like an MS or furniture. (laughs) I don't know. No. And like, just remember in this too, to negotiate for that because it can, like you said, you can make your own rules because normally if I had complete free reign as a pet, there are certainly some bratty or like disobedient things that I would do that I might not do for the scene because that other person doesn't consent to that. So, like, if I was mad at somebody, then, like, maybe I would just, like, go pee on their floor to spite them. And, (laughs) (laughs) but (laughs) I have had, it was interesting, I have had a scene with a play partner where, like, we dive pretty hard into humiliation. And we're always trying to think of, like, the next crazy thing that we can do. And it was that dynamic where it was kind of both, like, I was a pet who he was taken care of and he fed me and gave me lots of pets and scratches. And also like would we did some impact stuff that way. And like when I needed to go to the bathroom, I had to let him know with like, without using my human words that I had to go to the bathroom. And then 
he would take me down to the basement where he had puppy pads set up. And I, I totally thought about like the frustration of the dominant or the top or the owner when the pet is misbehaving. And I actually, a tiny spoiler, I won't give away all the details, but I wrote a scene through it. I think the pet had like like lifted a leg and peed on the dominant in yeah. public. So <laughs> she out of frustration, like climbed up on top of the, you know, the kennel and let loose. And it's kind of funny because in real life, um, I don't really do any kind of water sports. It's always been a limit of my no water sports, no scat. And again, no kink shaming to people who are into that, but I could totally understand in that context of being like so frustrated with the pet's behavior of like peeing or marking in the house that yeah, you know, it was like, you know, it was like a special moment where I could totally wrap my brain around it. And if it were not for Panda Pet, I don't think I could have come to such an understanding about how fun pet play could really be. So oh, thanks for thanks. that. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thank you for talking about pet play with me. I cannot believe it took us until season three to do it. I know. Well, now we have done the deed. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) I think this was fun, too. Like, I got to share. Thanks, as always, for listening to Naughty Talk. Our show is available on most popular podcast platforms. For updates, to submit a request to be a guest on the show, to write in with questions for our hosts, or request lifestyle advice, head over to the show's page at sunnyleemaine.com. You'll also find information about my novels, including my Turn the Key series, which are dark erotica with themes of hypnosis, BDSM, and sometimes a little bit of magic. All books feature different kinks and are queer inclusive. I hope you've enjoyed the show and you join us again next time.